1: Mets fans welcome back to amazing Avenue audio of the show my name is Brian as always is Chris and Chris we are recording this on Thursday morning April 21st the Mets are nine and four they have taken two of three from the San Francisco Giants thus far there is an afternoon game today that I'm hoping my kids will want to watch with me (laughs) and uh we
0: uh let's just sort of start off by a temperature check how are you feeling about the team right now uh pretty good you know it's Hard to complain too much when um, not only are they off to a good start, but they're the only team in the NL East that is. Uh, Obviously, the uh, first half of April, uh, as it is, given the uh, slightly delayed start to the season, you can't make conclusions off of it, but coming out of the gate strong is always a good thing. And... They've won every series they've played so far. Mm -hmm. Um, they have an opportunity to do that again today. Even if they don't, they split against a fellow good team. I, I, I think, uh, the giants, you know, have also gotten off to a good start. They were good last year. They didn't do anything over the winter to make you think they'd suddenly be terrible. So they're in a spot that, Hey, if they split. Of course, you prefer that they win, but that would leave them at nine and five. Uh, if they win, then they will have continued to win every series they've played in and be 10 and four. That is great. <laughs> it's yes, uh, you could argue that they had a chance to win pretty much all of their losses, yes, but that's uh, to, to go with a, a cliche that is baseball.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really important for us to talk about is that when the Mets were doing very well against the Nationals and the Diamondbacks and the Phillies, there were a number of people who I think correctly said the Giants are the real test. We're going to get swept by the Giants or insert other bleak observation about the Giants series here. And I think the Giants are the biggest test the Mets have had so far. And the Mets have won two games already. And if they split, I think if you had told us after the home opener, all right, the Mets are going to split against the the Giants in a week and a half. Or not a week and a half, just a week later, I guess. um, We would have felt, at least I think most fans would have felt like, all right, that's a good outcome for that series. But because they won the first two games, people are now a little bit down on the team. And look, Chris Bassett had a very rough first inning yesterday. And I know you can't take innings out of starts. I hate when people say like, "Well, if you didn't throw that one pitch, they would have won the game." I, I recognize you can't do that. But Bassett settled down, and the Mets had a couple of opportunities that mistakes happened or bad luck happened. Like you know, in the eighth inning, there was that hot shot that Wilmer Flores jumped up and caught. That if that had gone, if that was hit three inches higher and gone over his head, the Mets score at least one run there, if not two runs, and that's a totally different ball game then. And so I think, like you said, the Mets had a chance to win every loss. They have not been blown out just yet. And, you know, if Chris Bassett has one start where he has, or if Chris Bassett every three starts gives up four or five earned runs, I don't think that's a reason to run for the hills. I mean, I hope he doesn't give up five earned runs every third start, but those things happen, you know? Um I think the team's looking really good. I think getting Canna and Nimmo back is only a good thing also. That's the other thing. If you had told me that the Mets would have won all but one game without Nimmo and Canna, I don't know if I'd have believed you either, but they that's thats the case. They, they, they did just fine with Travis Jankowski and Jeff McNeil in the outfield. That's kind of a crazy thing to think about when you consider how the team was constructed and the sort of overall opinion about mcneil as an outfielder and jankowski's offensive abilities so i think the team has looked really good i even think the bullpen is starting to come around a little bit you know sean reed foley pitched two good innings of relief against a very good team last night um you know the the team has looked has looked pretty good and that's not to mention that max scherzer had a no hitter going through five innings the other night and was getting squeezed in those first five innings and maybe could have gone longer and had more success if if there wasn't such a squeeze from the umpiring crew on some of his uh, pitches but you know that's a that's a small complaint in the grand scheme of things because again the Mets won that game handily and the team has just looked really good has there been any part of the team that has looked particularly good free good to you um, or particularly surprising to you
0: well uh, I mean, I guess it's an uh, equal effort or equal successful effort from the rotation and the lineup. I, I guess neither one is really surprising, but we did just see this team, albeit with some players who weren't on it last year, uh, go into the season with sort of similar hopes um, the, on the lineup side. They had solid hitters at every position, and they underperformed last year. Um, so we got to come into this season with the same expectation, and this time around, they are they are just doing what they're supposed to do. Um, it's nice when that happens with. <laughs> With the Mets, that's not always the case. It might not be the case for the entire season. Uh, But as of right now, they're averaging 4.69 runs per game. And that puts them in the upper third of baseball. Uh, That's generally where you want to be. Of course, you'd love to lead the league in runs per game. But uh, far, far better than average. Um, And I, I, I try not to be too much uh, of a Yankees hater, but the (laughs) the Yankees offense is bottom third at the moment. Uh, I don't know if that's indicative of where it will end up, but it's just weird to have started a season where it's the Yankees who publicly announced a contract offer that their star player turned down and are flailing away at the bottom tier of offense in baseball while the Mets signed Max Scherzer, still are only a year and a few months removed from trading for Francisco Lindor. And um, that gives a nice segue to the rotation side of this, Carlos Carrasco, who to me is, uh, on the surprise part, is the biggest surprise so far. And um, I loved him when they traded for him. I, I thought it was not as big a deal as Lindor in that trade, right. but I, I thought it was a significant piece. Um, and, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to <laughs> still feel that way when a guy struggles with injury and then uh, pitches very poorly after his return. But we know he's talented and this looks a lot more like the guy that, uh, That i think we thought the mets were getting um i know home runs are down in baseball but his home run rate is significantly down from last year Mm -hmm. Uh, i haven't looked at exactly what the change in home run rate is across the league but uh, i'm gonna guess it's not (laughs) as much of a drop percentage wise as him going from two home runs per nine to less than one home run per nine and uh, Look, the bullpen's still going to be shaky until either there's some breakout guys or until they make some additions as the season goes along. But especially into DeGrom's absence, I was fairly concerned about the rotation. Um, and I don't know how long David Peterson and Tyler McGill hold up what they've done in the very early going, but Uh, Max Scherzer certainly looks fantastic. Chris Bassett looks very, very good. And Carlos Carrasco looks very, very good. Um, That's, that's not a bad place to be in. And Taiwan Walker looked very exciting in the two innings he pitched.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. And he had a very good rehab start the other day. Yeah, yeah. He struck out seven, I believe it was in his and again that's against you know extended spring training talent but still right you know you don't want that guy to get rocked in that in that situation oh yeah Uh, so
0: well yeah to to hit on a a theme that ted berg often liked to point out when you know and he may still be pointing out on his podcast uh Mm -hmm. but that there's a huge difference between established major leaguer and uh dude in spring training but dude in spring training is still like 99.9998 percentile (laughs) right of all humans playing baseball um so I'm not saying take those you know those little minor stats as uh as as what we should draw our projections on but (laughs) no but when when (laughs) when he was facing us Right, exactly. Yes,
1: <laughs> and, and I would put you, who I think played high school baseball, correct? I did, I did. Yeah, yeah. I I quit playing baseball in fourth grade. So if uh, if if I get it off Taiwan Walker, we're in real trouble here.
0: Yeah. Um. I mean, my high school don't... baseball career ended just just for context. I did technically play, <laughs> <laughs> but in my senior year, I, I, I was uh, relegated to relief work um, after hoping to be starting as a pitcher. And then also kind of finally figured out my swing and would be in batting practice, like having great BP and then never getting a chance because I, I've been pitching, you know? Right. Right. And then never actually getting a shot at hitting in games. So yeah, that, that's, you know, I was no, uh, nobody was scouting me, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, to me, when you're watching a guy
1: do a rehab start, what you're looking for is that he can hit the spots he wants to hit because that's that's what you're testing right and if you struck out seven minor leaguers it appears to me that he's at least mostly hitting the spots he wants to hit so that's a good thing you know uh so far it looks like uh de is you know doing what he should be doing in terms of recovery there's an mri on monday if that looks good then they're going to be doing a uh i suppose about a month of buildup until he hopefully joins the rotation. So you know we're getting a we're getting close to to our five starters that were planned being healthy. And you know because of having decent performances from Tyler McGill and David Peterson, and it looks like we're on Saturday we're probably getting a Trevor Williams start in. Uh, in uh, the uh, Arizona series, you know, if those guys can just be fine, that makes such a huge difference. That makes such a huge difference. If those guys cannot be an automatic dumpster fire loss, whenever they start, then this team has a real shot because there is enough power and enough, you know, I think the hit tool on someone like Canna is really impressive. So there, there is enough here to put together a real winning streak, a real solid series, a a season where winning every series is maybe not the uh not the hard I mean because there's not going to happen the entire year, but maybe that's the norm. Maybe they can be a team that is just really producing at a high level for the majority of of the season. We haven't seen that in a very long time. Was 2015 the last time we felt like super confident about the Mets? Um, 2016,
0: maybe. It, well, yeah, I guess it depends on what point of the season it was. I mean, 2015, they had that incredible winning streak in April, right? That was that year. Yes. And then that kind of kept them afloat for long enough to bolster the team at the deadline and have you on a uh, you know, <laughs> just annihilate everything. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I I guess maybe going into 2016 was probably uh, the highest level of confidence coming off the pennant and unfortunately the World Series loss. Um, But yeah, 2019 when they got hot late and and went on a run in the moment, that was probably, you know, confident. Right. but it, that kind of came out of nowhere so yeah so that's a long answer but i think yeah I, yeah i think that's a reasonable <laughs> thing to say
1: yeah yeah so you know just the fact that that if if they can be a team that you feel confident in the maybe not the series to series but the month to month you know um grind that would be a lovely thing oh boy would that be a lovely thing yeah. <laughs> but let's see. Um I guess I want to talk a little bit about the DH spot. Because so far buck Walter has been a man of his word. He had said he was going to be you know using that as a a spot to give people time off and to to rest people and to rotate some folks that, you know, in and out of there. And he has that has been correct. We've seen Dom, Pete, uh, Cano, J.D. Davis last night, Escobar, D.H. So we've seen him do that. How are you feeling about the first two months of uh, or the first two weeks, rather, of of the of D.H. and the N.L. aside from, you know, the 2020 season? Uh,
0: right, right. Um, aside from hating it in principle. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. I. Uh,
1: I'm asking less about your, like, ethical thoughts of it versus the, the you know, the the Mets usage of it. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, so I think it's good. I think that's a good way to handle it. Um, We'll see how Robinson Cano holds up over the course of the season, both in the field and out the plate. Uh, We'll see if Dom Smith or J.D. Davis uh, turn into... Guys who are traded for some of that bullpen help that we all think the Mets will need, um, but for now, I think it's a it's a pretty good way to take advantage of that position. Uh, I would love Nelson Cruz to just be hitting for power out of that spot, you know, as, as a Met instead of a National. But given the construction of the roster, uh, I think it's. I think it's a good thing. And I'd be curious to see it's probably not that hard to find out, but I don't know it off the top of my head. If the DH league had any history of being healthier for hitters because teams started to use it this way. Right. 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 Aside from the David Ortiz era or the Edgar Martinez era era where um among the best hitters ever, right? Or, or just, right, right. yep, that's the DH, that's it. Forget it, nobody else is getting that spot. But teams that rotate like this, uh, just curious if maybe we see slightly fewer injuries. Uh, Brandon Nimmo was mentioned by somebody, I forget if it was in, I don't even remember who, but uh, somebody Adam Hazen Avenue had said either in Slack or in something on the site that, they might like to see Nimmo get into that DH rotation mix because he has such a hard time staying healthy for a full season. Right. Uh, that makes that, total sense. Yeah, that hasn't happened yet, but I would consider it. I know the Mets are having Starling Marte play right field and Nimmo play center, so I don't know if they'll consider it, but. Uh, I, did you hear? I, it was probably opening
1: day or. Two or three days later, when somebody finally gave their rationale for that because I had not even heard a, I had not heard a rationale for that and thought it was nuts. Once I heard the rationale, I disagreed, but I kind of understood it a little bit more. Have you heard what their rationale was? um I thought I did. It was just Marte's arm essentially yeah, is they thought that Marte had the best arm for right field
0: right I, I heard the bit about how they basically thought they had figured out how to position Nemo, yes, to make him an effective center fielder. Um and to their credit, that did look like something that was significantly better last year.
1: Yes, absolutely um, but yeah no, I, I think I think that the DH position used in this way is is a very effective uh tool, you know, like we were saying, if somebody is maybe feeling a little banged up, they could probably, play DH as opposed to playing third base or left field, whatever the case may be. It's slightly less wear and tear in the body. So hopefully this will be a tool that they can use to just to keep folks healthy and to rotate people in and out. And, you know, it, there's been a very big deal made about how good of a DH hitter Pete Alonso is, even though he hates being the DH. Um, and so, you know, that's going to be a, a story at some point this season, I, I fear. But, you know, for now, the the rotation seems to be working for the team. It seems like they are going to be continuing this rotation Uh, unless there is somebody like I could see, I could see a point where if someone like Cano is looking just great at the plate, but looking like trash when he plays second base, I could see them maybe just going full time with Cano as the DH if that were to happen. But I think for now, the the, use, the usage is good. I like the rotation of guys in and out of there. You know, I, I think if you just read the Amazing Avenue comments in Slack, you would think that Buckshaw Walter is the worst manager in the history of baseball. <laughs> and um, you know, I, I am not the world's biggest Buckshaw Walter in-game management fan. But I think one thing that he has done very well is he has kept players fresh. He has rested people. He has made sure that bench players are getting into games and I think that that's a that's a valid thing. If you want if you want to use your full roster to its best capacity, you can't just let certain people rot on the bench. So I think that Buck has done a good job with that so far. And the DH is you know a um, an extension of that. His his DH usage has been an extension of his wanting to get people in and playing right. uh, mindset.
0: Yeah, and I, uh, a couple things along those lines. Um, This is the first normal season. And then even then the ownership implemented lockout made it not normal. Uh, first normal season since 2019, which is crazy, but it is true. Um, I think last year was a huge adjustment to 2020 60 game season. Um, no excuses for, for the Mets specifically there, but I, I think generally the quality of of play diminished as the season went along, um, it's sort of, I don't know if a regular marathon runner didn't run any marathons for a year or two or only ran a half marathon and then, uh, got back into it, it might take a little time to adjust. And that's the baseball season is often described as that a marathon. Yes. So, so, yeah, I think the, <laughs> is the, the fact that there's this abbreviated spring training um, coming into this season, so it's still not quite fully normal, but it's as close to a normal uh, Major League Baseball experience as the players or the fans or anybody have had in, in quite a while. Uh, <clears throat> so with that, I think that side of things matters more. Um, I liked... I don't know. There there will be head scratching moves, but until the bullpen is fortified, there's gonna have to be. You know, we yes. mentioned that last week that there was frustration that the best relievers weren't being used every time out, but we know that if you do that in April, you're gonna burn them out. And we'd be criticizing that too. So yes. you all
1: remember Terry Collins, don't you?
0: <laughs> or Jerry Manuel.
1: Oh god, Jerry Manuel was the worst at that. Yeah.
0: Um but uh, uh, what, what was the other side of it? Oh, it was Walter. And I don't want to overreact to small stuff like it when, uh, when it's what the manager should be doing. But with the, uh, the game that... The, the one benefit of the game that was on Apple TV Plus was uh, Francisco Lindor being mic'd up. And the, the video that came out of that I thought Juan Soto was actually a little more enter- entertaining, a little a little funnier, but Lindor is still our guy and <laughs> like, yep. uh, and, and also great. But when he got hit in the face with the pitch, um, and show Walter came out and Lindor is saying, no, 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 I'm not coming out of the game. You're not taking me out. You, you, just show Walter having sort of the, the blend of respect and calmness to mm-hmm. say, come on uh, you're coming out we gotta we gotta be safe Uh, i'm I'm paraphrasing here but just the way he approached that and handled it um i i'm sure the hardest part of managing is and i love francisco lindor but you're superstars right yeah Uh, you do not want the guys who everybody knows and looks up to, to to be upset um and it was just a small moment of handling it well. And I don't think Lindor's the type of guy that would have, I don't know, gone Papelvon and tried right, to strangle right. somebody on his own team. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, speaking of the the, the victim of Papelvon's violence, uh, the Phillies are absolutely terrible. Yes, Lately. they are. It's pretty great. Yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you kind of love to see it.
1: So I have one last lingering DH thought, and and we're trying to do a shorter show today, so let's not get too caught up in this. But Amazing Avenue did a piece uh, at the end of the offseason, which was their bold predictions. And one of the things I had said was that there was going to be some injuries to the Mets, and that the result of that was going to be a, a reunion with Michael Conforto in May. And Michael Conforto still has not signed anywhere. He has not there's not been a sniff of any team being interested from what I have seen. Do you think that Conforto plays baseball in 2022? And if so, why won't it be for the Mets? Is the relationship just like borked forever? Because it seems like, you know, I mean, it's not a perfect fit on the roster. But if you can get him for just money, and I guess they lose a draft pick if they sign him before the draft, right? Well, the Mets wouldn't. Oh, no, the Mets wouldn't. You're right. Yes. So then why aren't the Mets doing it then?
0: Yeah. Well, there's speculation. We don't know for sure uh, with any player unless we saw a photograph or video of it, right? Right. About vaccination status, but speculation that Conforto may not be vaccinated and that could alone be the deal breaker uh, for a team. that I think has leadership that has been very strongly um, pro vaccine. Mm -hmm. And rightfully so. And they've. Made changes on the administrative side because of a refusal to get it and. It's a completely fair thing to want to reduce the risk, both for on on a humane level and right. uh, Also, even if you just want to be cynical and be competitive, hey, the team that's 100 percent vaxxed has lower chance of anybody getting sick and, uh, and missing time, right? Yeah, yeah, just the Mets have enough things to worry about with the injured list <laughs> in a typical season. You don't need <laughs> risk by choice added to it. So all of that said, we don't know 100% that Michael Conforto is or isn't. But I know there's speculation that perhaps he isn't because that would e- explain a little bit of why he's not signed anywhere. Um, And he struggled last year. His slugging percentage is below 400, which is not what you want to see from him at all. Um, He's one of those guys where sometimes it happens in baseball where you have the the freak's shoulder injury came up, right? And then it took some time to adjust, but he got back to being the guy that he was. But we know Scott Boris has cited an off-season shoulder injury. I don't know if there's been any specifics as to whether or not it's um a shared one with or or, you know the same right vicinity on the same side um that supposedly came up over the off season but the the thing that sometimes seems to happen is that like the guy gets it back and uh but then it doesn't sustain itself right so i i'm not saying michael conforto is cooked um but he he struggled off that injury he regained form his form and uh and then it's been not quite the same so combination of potentially injured in his own training over the winter potentially not vaccinated um and Presumably seeking a significant deal. That's. Uh...
1: There's a lot there.
0: Yeah. But it's still crazy that he's not in some organization rehabbing with a team that wants to get him out on the field. I mean, he's 29 right. years old. <laughs> right. Exactly. And even if he's not quite that 2017 hitter that he was, um, I mean, he's great in the short season. 2020 but again that was only 54 games for him um there there's enough there that you would think some team would bring him in and
1: especially I, I'm sorry to interrupt you Chris but no, all good. I, I'd say especially at this point you would think that he and Boris maybe would be coming down a little bit from that substantial deal he was looking for right to give himself because at this point if he doesn't play this year Getting him a contract for next year looks even harder, right? So I, I think you take the risk on a pillow contract at this point in the season and say, let me just show that I still have value of any kind because I don't if he doesn't play this year at all, I don't know if he plays in the majors next year. He is not the the I'm trying to think who was the guy that held out for a full season recently. There was this happened in the last couple of years. Um
0: Right? Am I crazy? Didn't this happen? For a whole year, I forget. I remember
1: or for at least half a year.
0: I remember the guys who held out into the season. Steven Drew was one of them. Yes, he was. And he was never the same after that happened. Um and there was a pitcher too around maybe in the I want to say it was Dallas Braden,
1: but it wasn't Dallas
0: Braden. Yeah, but it's somebody like that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Dallas Braden-esque. One of those uh, guys who pitched in the Central or West and was good, but not great, and and whatever. But um right, yeah. But yeah, I can't remember if there's a, a full season example.
1: But regardless, like I, I think Stephen Drew is the perfect example of that. You know, that guy held out until the season started. I think he got a one year deal, and then and then totally cooked his value. It was never the same after that. So. I just think that it makes a lot of sense for Conforto to be looking to play someplace. And I don't know how many other teams are going to have the budget or not having the draft pick attached to it. Or like the Mets don't need him in the sense of their right fielder got injured and they don't have somebody to play everyday right field. The Mets have a pretty varied, diverse, um, flexible roster right now. But I think that, and again, the, the the vaccination thing is just so fucking frustrating because get vaccinated people, get vaccinated people, you all do it for the smallpox. Smallpox is less of an issue right now in 2022 than COVID is, so please get vaccinated for COVID. Anyway, off my soapbox. Um, You know, I would just think that he needs to start thinking about what his, what his move is, and I think that if there's a team that is struggling down the stretch and could use an outfielder, I think he makes sense. But every day that goes by, teams are gonna forget about him and hit the he's going to be further and further removed from not just effective baseball, but playing baseball. And I, I don't think you wanna you know I know people do showcases and tryouts and all that all the time, but that is not the same as watching somebody play in game. And I think that when you are when you have not played in-game, not because of an injury, because of your choice in X amount of time, that's just that's playing with fire. So, yeah, I, I'm not advocating necessarily for the Mets to bring him back, but I think it's kind of crazy that it hasn't at least been discussed. And maybe it has been. We're not privy to these private conversations. But it seems like there's really no interest in baseball at all with anybody signing a guy who was rumored to be looking at a $100 million contract in the offseason and who the Mets reportedly offered a hundred million dollar extension to last season.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> that is kind of wild. Yes, it is. Um, who knows if that had been accepted, there may be an injured Michael Conforto waiting to come back and Starling Marte might be playing somewhere else. Right? Yeah. Um, all of these things, especially with an owner who has money and is shown a willingness to spend it. Uh, they can all have an effect. Uh, yes. And, and yeah, right now, I would prefer Marte to Conforto.
1: Agreed. And I think that the best part of this, not the best part, maybe the the most silver lining of all of this to me is that we have seen that the Mets made him an, a contract offer that was not public last season, which leads me to believe that maybe they are negotiating, they will negotiate with DeGrom before he opts out and just restructure his contract. Because that's truly the best thing the Mets can do this season,
0: right? Yeah, I I, I think so. I um, I understand if they want to see him on the mound first, but
1: <laughs> yes, yes, agreed.
0: But uh,
1: but just the fact that they were willing to do that is to me a good sign.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: All right, well let's um, let's close it off with our music picks. You have something in mind, Chris?
0: I think I have to go with the most uh, relevant album of the week. Uh, It will be the fourth album recommended by this band, by me. Uh, And somehow we've touched on older records from time to time. Uh, Somehow it hasn't come up before. So I'm not duplicating a recommendation, but I got to see Wilco uh, for the. uh, I'll have to check back in on how many if time, but it's we're, we're in the 30s, possibly the 40s of Wilco shows for me. <laughs> but this one was cool because it was in Washington Heights, uh, which is not too far from the Bronx, and at the United Palace Theater that had done some shows with bands that um, that we like years ago. I so- saw Sonic Youth there in like 2009, I think, or eight. Um, Anyway, Wilco played at the United Palace Theater. Uh, They are doing a little mini tour, really just a two-city sort of event, uh, New York City and Chicago, playing Yankee Hotel Foxtrot in full and really trying to replicate the album uh, on stage. So they had a string quartet. They had three other musicians who the vast majority of the show were playing horns, and uh, their use wasn't constant throughout the set. It it was targeted and uh, well executed and all that. So uh, I did see them play the album front to back one previous time uh, at at Solid Sound Festival in 2019, 17. I forget which year that was, but um, this was a different way of doing that. And we we both... uh, shouted out Funkadelic's maggot brain on its 50th anniversary and in, yes. in our recommendations the one time we came into a show with the same record
1: <laughs> yes okay. I, we have done music wrecks on uh I believe this is our 91st episode and we have never had uh the same one before
0: yeah yeah so all of that said I know you like this record too but uh, the album absolutely is Yankee Hotel Foxtrot um it was not the record that got me into Wilco because it was was so hyped. It was one of those. uh, I'd like to think I'm maybe a little more optimistic when that happens now. But if something's hyped that much, it can just be like, okay, it can't be that good, right? Uh, Or at least that's how I react. Um, So. (laughs) So I think I had like a burned copy of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot in my CD book. As I date myself, for a while and then sky blue sky well it wasn't the next record but you know ghost is born um had come out and then sky blue sky came out and uh wilco was playing at the warsaw in brooklyn which at the time and still now would be a tiny venue for them absolutely it was like the hottest ticket of any music i liked and two friends of mine happened to uh have a spare come up the day of the show. I had two co-workers at the time who were diehard fans. And I was like, oh, I guess I'll go check this band out. And they're like, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, man, we're so jealous. We love them. And like, what a, what a cool thing to get to go see. And 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 I was hooked. Uh, but they were touring off of Sky Blue Sky at the time. They were still obviously playing plenty of songs off of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Um, but yeah, that is my wreck uh if you have not gotten into wilco that is still probably the album i would recommend starting with to get you into this yes
1: Yes. Um, it's weird to to recommend a band's like fourth record as a good starting place but it absolutely is
0: yeah it's the perfect bridge between everything they've done since and everything they did before
1: yes depending on what your favorite part of the record is you should start moving forward or backward from there essentially (laughs) um that is the record that got me into Wilco. I, I was aware of them. I, I'm a little bit older than the news. So I, I was aware of them around the time of Summer Teeth, but I did not really know much about them. Uh, I had heard some of the Billy Bragg stuff, the, the Mermaid Avenue stuff, because the college radio station I worked at had uh, that album in like heavy irritation when I started as a freshman in the fall of 2000. And then um, I had heard the hype about the Hotel Foxtrot when they got dropped from their label and they streamed the album on their website. So the first time I heard it was actually streaming on the Wilco website, um, and that hooked me, and I've been a fan ever since. So yeah, an excellent, excellent recommendation. Uh, so my recommendation has to do with this Saturday being Record Store Day. Uh, it is a, a day I have not participated in very much. Uh, I love vinyl. I love record stores. But I find that it's just, it has, for, for it seems like every single year on like my two, hypothetically, the two days I should love the most, Record Store Day and Free Comic Book Day. I always have shit going on that I can't participate in those things, and it drives me crazy. But this year, I have nothing going on Saturday morning, and so I'm thinking about hitting up Record Store Day. So I was scrolling through the Record Store Day releases, and I saw that there was a Ramones box set. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. But it's the Ramones 80s albums. I don't really know – I mean, I know songs from the 80s. I know the KKK took my baby away. I know Bonzo goes to Bitburg. I know – you know, there's, there's probably – six songs from that era that I love but I've never really listened to those records before so I was like you know what I'm going to do I'm going to carve out some time I'm going to listen to the Ramones 80s output to make me not buy this box set (laughs) I'm going to confirm that I don't like this so I'm not going to drop $150 on six Ramones records and goddamn it I kind of like the Ramones 80s records Um, but the first one in this box set the first one from the 80s is actually End of the Century which is a Phil Spector production which I adore even though it's barely a Ramones record. Um, but it's a whole other story. The first one in this box set is Subterranean Jungle, which came out in, I believe, I 1981. Just double-checking my work here. Yes. The year before I was born. And that album is really, really fun. I did not realize how much I was going to enjoy that record. Um, everything that happens with the Ramones is like, is a power struggle between Johnny Ramone and Joey Ramone. And uh, this album, I feel like they kind of both got what they wanted out of it, which is good. There's a lot of like really fun, good, poppy Joey Ramone stuff. There's also some pretty hard edged Johnny stuff. Didi is still writing the majority of the of the music here, which is the way I like it. Didi is my favorite Ramone songwriter. But you also get a, like I said a lot of Joey songs on this, too. It's it's just a really, really solid record. Um I I am very pleased to have this now in my uh I'm sorry, I was talking about the wrong one. Pleasant Dreams is the one of See, this is little line of these albums. I mentioned Subterranean Jungle, I met Pleasant Dreams. <laughs> Everything I said is correct except the name of the title. <laughs> Pleasant Dreams is the one I like <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is what happens when we record at 8 a.m., Chris uh my brain i only have one cup of coffee my brain is not fully uh fully awake yet yes but, yes well um, we have to keep
0: you on your toes
1: exactly yes uh <laughs> but so uh, just a couple of songs for folks who may want to check it out uh All, all's quiet on the eastern front the kkk took my baby away which when you find out that song is about johnny ramon stealing joey's girlfriend it's fucking brilliant <laughs> because johnny ramon was like a was like a right-wing reaganite and so an amazing bit of lyric writing from Joey Ramone. And um, uh, sitting in my room, the final track is amazing as well. But yeah, a really, really solid record. I'm sorry I muffed the name of it. It's Pleasant Dreams. That's the one I'm looking for. I need more coffee. I need to uh, make sure I'm buying the right record if I buy one. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, the production is not great. Some of the songs are a little bit cheesy, but it's still good Ramones and good Ramones is good Ramones. Uh, so two older records from us this week. Usually one of us picks something pretty new, but this is uh this is a retro throwback for us this week. But that's okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. And thank you for listening, everybody. We we truly appreciate it. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for all your Mets needs, podcasts, recaps, news, analysis, etc. You can also follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can go to uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts, and find this show. Please rate, rate review, and subscribe it. Subscribe to it wherever you find podcasts. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I'm on Twitter at Brian it's an app. And until next time, let's go Mets.